everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome you to this episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Kat. Hey, everyone. How are you? So, Matt, today, um, you know, our normal, like, goofing off and such, um, this is a more serious kind of topic that we're going to be discussing with our guests. Um, So I I want you to be on, you know, better behavior. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> I'll try. I mean, you know, our, our characters that we write about, like a lot of them have issues with um, the topic that we're going to discuss today. And, um, you know, I just think it would be an interesting, we thought it would be interesting <laughs> to uh, talk to someone who knows a little bit more about this. And, you know, it might help us with our character development and, uh, even more importantly, it may help um, people that are listening to the episode if they have dealt with or maybe are dealing with um, depression. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to do this episode because I know there are a lot of people who uh, do suffer from depression. Um, I've known a few over the years. Uh, some have had it worse than others. Uh, some have thought they had it, but maybe were not depressed. Um, so there's like a, you know, um, it's really hard to, uh, what's the word? Um, diagnose, I guess. Uh, you know, there are certain symptoms and signs and things like that that I know of. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a sort of a fine line between having a bad day or a bad couple days and, you know, being, you know, what people would call depressed. So that's kind of what I wanted to explore a little bit in this episode. Yeah, so we have with us today someone that's going to be able to help us to know, you know, how do we make that distinction or do we make that distinction? So I want to welcome today our guest. Aaron Stevens. He's a therapist in Kentucky. And Aaron, we want to welcome you to Backstory Sessions. We look forward to hearing um, the information you're going to be able to give us in your personal experiences today at, um, as we talk about this topic of depression. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I, I look forward to being able to share any of my personal experiences and uh, insights that I can offer uh, to you and your listeners. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think the interesting thing, like that Matt was pointing to, is, you know, uh, what is the difference? Or is there a difference in just like, you know, your boyfriend breaks up with you, your girlfriend breaks up with you, you're, you're sad. Um, I mean, is that depression? Well, typically, we wouldn't call that depression. Um, okay. You know, there's some... We have some guidelines that we look at clinically that uh, would, you know, categorize people into you're depressed or you're you're maybe grieving or you are adjusting to a major change in your life or loss uh, along with grief. But the way that I try to talk to my clients about it is when they come into my office, the, the first real questions that I, I get through after the, you know, the boring stuffy stuff that you have to talk about at first. But the real question is I ask them all, how is this impacting you? How is this really impacting your day-to-day experience of life? And if they can tell me, if, if you are experiencing symptoms that we all kind of have heard about, about depression, feeling sad, not wanting to get up, low energy, things like that. You know, if you feel that for a few days, but you know what? You get up after a couple of days, you get those things done, you go to work like you're supposed to, um, you, you know, you get those events done, you bathe, you take care of the kids. If you're, if you're basically doing those things, then oftentimes that's not impacting you in a significant way. And we might not call that depression. Um, that just might be a bad day or two, you know, maybe, maybe you're feeling down, maybe you're catching something, you know, and it's just a bug that you've got and you know, you kick it and you're feeling better. 
But what we really look at is, it, is it impacting you and how long has it been impacting you? Anything that affects you for more than about a two-week period, that, that's when we start to get concerned. Um, you know, if you're feeling that down, low energy, if you're feeling that, you know, just don't want to get up and do a lot, um, or there's a lack of being able to enjoy yourself in various ways, you know, you just don't, you know, food doesn't taste as good anymore, or doing things that you used to enjoy just doesn't bring you any pleasure anymore. And if that lasts for more than about two weeks, that's when we start to get concerned. As a therapist, that's when I start to say, okay, maybe there's something significant here. And that's when I would dig deeper and try to get a bigger history or a deeper history of what the person's been going through recently. Um, so that's kind of it, you know, um, isn't it impacting your, your day-to-day life and your ability to function? And has it been going on for more than about two weeks or right at two weeks? Okay. So like sticking with that same, you know, beginning example of boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever the situation breakups, um, you know, so what if over that two week period, you know, there are some days you get up and do the things that um, you're supposed to do, even if you're crying all the way to work or whatever, you still go, um, you know, but then there are a few days in those two weeks that, you know, that you, you're not able to function really. Um, you know, does it happen like that too, that it's an up and down kind of? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it can be that depression has its ups and downs, and most for most people, it does. In fact, we don't typically see solid weeks of depression for most people, uh, although the symptoms can absolutely can be solidly there and present every day of a particular you know week or two period. But for most people, it, it does seem to go up and it goes down. Things get a little better, things get a little worse, and depression is real sneaky that way. Um, it can sneak up on us because we don't notice it building into that everyday routine or that everyday impact until it has got to the point where it really does keep us from doing things you know until we get that um you know email from our boss saying hey if you're late to work again uh we're going to have to have some serious consequences or you know family starts saying hey we haven't seen you around in a while where you been um until we start getting some feedback from the people around us and the the other groups that we're associating with like work and family and friends that's when people start to notice. Um, it's real sneaky. So it's kind of hard to tell. And that's one of the things that is really important about the um, idea of depression holding you away from people and keeping you from going out is because you don't get that feedback. So then it just kind of keeps feeding in on itself. It sneaks up in there. So um, if people start to notice um, changes, but but they associate it with the divorce, with the breakup. Um, I mean, is it possible that the depression started before that, and and then that just brings it um, to your mind as okay, yeah, you know, I'm depressed because this happened, and you know this. Mm-hmm. Then you start to rationalize. That's only normal because you know we were married or we were together this long, um, so I'll be okay. Um, is that the way that people typically think? Is it like event oriented like that or? Well, I think event oriented things like that, you know, breakups, divorces, um, losing a loved one, uh, major changes. I think unfortunately that does give each of us sort of a defense mechanism to deny that we are suffering as much as we are, or that our feelings and our behaviors have changed in such a way that they're really impacting us. And, we don't notice it, but we use that as an excuse that, oh, you know, if, you know, I haven't taken a bath in two weeks, uh, but I'm, you know, I don't have to go out. No, but who do I have to, you know, nobody cares. Um, I'm divorced now or I'm, you know, it just doesn't matter so much. We find these excuses, but, you know, those should be for people that we're, you know, that we care about. We should look at those events and say that those are sort of like red flag events. Like if we know someone who's been through something like that, then we should try to pay attention to them and connect with them more often to check in with them. Um, in fact, that's one of the best ways to support people that you know who have depression is just by checking in with them more frequently. You know, their natural depression kind of pushes people to isolate. And, you know, as, as people, if we're friends of those people, even if it's not a full depression, you know, and that's, and that's another thing, I guess it kind of ties back to what we were first talking about is, you know, it can sneak up on you. And just, you know, those first couple of days, you're down, you're up and you're down. 
maybe there was a breakup, maybe there was something, and you're like, well, I don't know, maybe I'm not really depressed, because, you know, on the weekends, I can kind of get out and hang out with my friends and feel okay, and then through the week, I feel really down and low, but that can turn into something more. It can build itself into a, an actual depression pretty easily, and that's why, again, contact with other people, being willing to open up and talk to other people about how you're feeling, what you're experiencing can be very important in preventing depression in the first place. That's a long-winded well, answer. I hope that kind of gets to it. <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I think it does. And I, I think a lot of people have experiences similar to that. But what about if the people um, that reach out to you are, um, you know, people that are saying to you, you know, you, this is just in your mind or you're being lazy. You can, you know, you can get out of the bed if you want to uh, because maybe they don't know um, how to help and, and they think that that's being motivational. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that that's exactly kind of what people think is helpful. You know, in general, that, you know, we want to try to encourage people or we want to try to, minimize what they're going through in a way that we think is encouraging. But um, oftentimes I'll tell my clients that if you've heard statements like this, you should take that sort of as a reverse advice. If you hear someone say, hey, what you're going through isn't that bad, you're probably going through something that's kind of bad. You know, If they've noticed enough to make that comment, then that means there's something going on for you that has they've noticed. And they're trying to be helpful in a very unhelpful way. So if you take that sort of in, in reverse, then you kind of realize, oh, okay, if they're trying to tell me that it's not so bad, I'm probably going through something that they've noticed that I'm going through. So, so is depression, um, I mean, can you just, like, change your mind about it? Is it that simple? It's like, okay, you're right. You know, I, I do need to take a shower today. I do need to. Uh, so I'm just going to change my mind and I'll you know, I'll be able to function better. Is this that simple? Well, it's it's not that simple. No, it is not that simple. However, um, we do hope that people start to change the way and work on the way that they're looking at the thing that they're dealing with. Um, therapy is all about that, in fact, helping you to see things in different ways, to reframe the way that you're looking at your situation and also through changing behavior. Um by watching out for the behaviors that you're doing that are feeding into the depression, you know, either making it worse or maintaining it, like I was talking about, like self-isolation. If you find yourself not wanting to go out, not wanting to spend time with other people, if you find yourself not wanting to engage in those tasks or things that normally make you feel kind of good, but now they don't, and then so you find, you know, well, why bother? So I just won't do them anymore. Um, when you get locked into those behaviors, what you're also doing is kind of locking in the depression and it can then develop and get worse. So it's really important though that, you know, to understand that therapy does work on changing the way we think about things, but it's not so easy as just deciding to do it. Um, so does depression affect women more than men or? Well, I think statistically, I think statistically we see that that is something that is more common. Um, I don't know that I could say that it affects any either sex differently necessarily in like intensity or whatever, but we do just know that statistically women do seem to have um, or at least come for help. And that's, I think, is a key thing is they come for help. And so therefore they get identified more often uh, than men. But I would have a sneaky suspicion to say that it's pretty equal um, out there. People suffer from it, men and women pretty equally it's just that men don't often come and ask for help and they don't get identified and therefore they don't get counted in our statistics that we normally get would you would you say that that's because of the stigma associated with mental health oh yes absolutely yeah. um i think there's a you know the stigma that's associated with mental health in general keeps people from going and getting the help that they need in all cases almost in every situation but I do think, though, that there is a particular pressure on men in our society to handle themselves. Um, I think there's a particular pressure to see mental health as a weakness for men. And it's been a, you know, a gender-related kind of stereotype that men are supposed to just suffer in silence or handle everything on their own. And that leads to a lot of isolation being seen as okay. 
you know, a mm-hmm. bunch of guys, friends, one of their friends stops showing up. Um, oh yeah, he just went through a divorce. He's that, you know, that's why he's not here. Oh, okay, that makes sense. He he'll be fine, you know. And nobody checks in on that guy. Um, and it's just seen as normal, you know. And it, I think it is again something that's cultural. I think it's something that definitely impacts the um, identification of men who are depressed. I think it also helps or in, hinders uh, people from seeking help. Right. But it's also true for women too. You know, it, I just think that it, there is a cultural pressure there. Uh, about men getting help yeah what's wrong with men you know because <laughs> uh, you know I, I do think with women like at least if a, if a friend is missing you know there's like a kind of a joining together you know what are we going to do uh, I mean it may be like the wrong kind of help that they end up coming up with but still yeah, you, you guys will have like an intervention <laughs> like you know drive to their house with wine and you know, <laughs> yeah or whatever bring a new guy, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. something, you know, <laughs> I, I think there's a plan with women, whereas maybe men just like, you know, like you said, like, oh, that's all right. That's, yeah, he, that's he, compartment. <laughs> yeah. He just Move needs on. to suck it up. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, you're right there. That's the, that's the attitude. You know, with guys, it's, you know, they just, they, I think it's a way of trying to show support by not showing support. It's like, oh, he, he's, you know, he's cool enough. He's strong enough. Nah, nah, he's going to bounce back. He'll be fine. Yeah. No, we don't want to go around and talk about all that sad stuff with him. You know, he, he'll be fine. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, it does happen. And, yeah, women seem to have a much better support plan in place. They've got, you know, girl parties and girls nights out and all that stuff that happens. And, you know, guys are like, oh, he didn't show up. Uh, for you. He'll be fine. You know, move on. Yeah. So do men and women have different symptoms? Um, do they experience depression differently? Uh, typically, uh, yes. Typically, yes. Um, I mean, many of the symptoms are similar. And so these are just very vague or generalizations here when I say they do right. experience it a little differently. But I have noticed that on the on, for most men, depression comes on pretty strong. Um, and so they may experience more of the serious side uh, of the depression, suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation. Um, they may also experience that isolation, that self-isolation more intensely. Um, and this is, again, this is more anecdotal. So this is just my experience having worked with people who are depressed. I find that the men that I work with tend to be in a more serious state of that depression. But that also may mean that they've waited that long to come to help. Uh, where again, with women, I tend to see the er, the lighter side of the depression, and again, lighter is very very general here. Um, when they come in, they are in the earlier stages of the depression, and so they may not have gone quite so far along um, that they're in those suicidal ideations and things like that. Um, so that could be accounting for the differences that I'm even noticing here to bring up. Hmm. Um, so let's talk about some of the symptoms. Um, you know, so it, it's more than just a feeling sad. I mean, it's going to manifest mm-hmm. in other ways, right? Yes, absolutely. So, of course, obviously, having a depressed mood is the definition, you know, is part of the definition here. But that is just one of the many symptoms. Some of them, uh, you know, I've mentioned already, like the the lack of interest or the um, lack of um, feeling or enjoyment of things that they used to enjoy. So old hobbies and hanging out with people and doing things that you used to enjoy just no longer really brings you a lot of happiness and doesn't really motivate you anymore. Um, There could be changes in weight, weight loss, weight gain. Um, That's also a thing that's pretty common. One of the two. Um, Another thing that people uh, find as a symptom of depression is just a, a, a fog, uh, I guess is a good way to put it. A, you know, their, their cognitive processes slow down. They're not quite as quick with their thoughts. They're not um, as witty anymore. They're a little more blah. And they may notice in themselves that they become a little more forgetful about things. They uh, may forget appointments. They may forget uh, things that they're supposed to do. Um, so those are also symptoms of depression. And fatigue, again, we've mentioned lower energy level, just not feeling like doing things anymore. And then 
on the darker, deeper side, you know, feelings of worthlessness, feeling like you're a worthless person that you know has no purpose in the world or no purpose with other people or thinking that others would be better off without you around or that somehow the world would be a better place without you. Uh, and then, of course, suicidal thoughts that can come along with that as well. So, I mean, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking like in a, in a relationship or even, you know, with your friends, um, they might feel like they can just, like it's their fault if you're not happy. Like they might see it as, mm-hmm. you know, you're just not happy. So what what am I not doing? Like, you know, how can I how can this person not be happy when I'm like, you know, loving them and I'm doing all these things. And um, so I could see how that could be a conflict um, that would only add to the feeling the depressed person is having. Oh yes, absolutely. And, And in the scope of a relationship, depression can, you know, as I said before, it can be really sneaky but it, uh, you know, in the scope of a relationship, depression can really be problematic because it starts off in these small, soft ways of just you know, not feeling good about yourself or not feeling good enough to be in the relationship or thinking the other person deserves better. And then that begins to build on itself where you pull away from the other person. You don't feel like they, you know, that you, they deserve you. And then you pull more in on yourself. You feel guilt. You feel, you know these other kinds of negative feelings that build up that put space between you than the other person. They try, they don't understand, they, they love you, they don't see why what's going on or what's happening. They then also feel that distance that gets between you. And then, then something actually is going on, which then the person who has a depression can recognize and see that and feel that too. And that just kind of reinforces their um, thoughts and feelings of uh, you know, value and worth in the relationship. So again, a very insidious thing, uh, depression. Does that then lead to divorce in many cases? Oftentimes, uh, mental health is probably, and this is not me quoting any statistics, but from my own experience, mental health is one of the primary reasons that people come to uh, to couples therapy uh, to work on their relationship and trying to prevent a divorce or after a separation. It boils down to, you know, mental health is right up there with causes for uh, relationships to end on one person's or both person's side. And not just depression. There, I'm saying mental health in general. There's lots of reasons, but depression is a pretty big one there. It's a pretty common one. Is, uh, is depression like uh, hereditary? Well, I think we we have to say that it definitely runs in families. Um, Mood disorders in general have been found that if you have someone who you are directly related to and they have a mood disorder of some kind, depression, anxiety, bipolar, any of those kinds of things that deal with mood, then you are more likely to also develop some type of mood disorder as well. Mm -hmm. And so depression can definitely be genetically influenced. Um, but there's also the fact of if you, you know, if you're as a child, as you're raised and a parent that you have, you know, obviously that raised you has had depression during that time, then they're modeling behaviors for you. They're modeling a behavior, uh, you know, depressive cycle of behaviors Right. that if you follow suit, then you are likely to put yourself into a prime, you know, prime place to be depressed as well. How, how does stress and or i'm sorry um depression and low self-esteem like are are those two things like uh do they kind of go hand in hand or i mean you could have one without the other i assume you can um you can and but they do tend to go hand in hand Mm -hmm. um self-worth um is one of those things that you, know, you can you can feel okay about yourself and still be depressed. Um, but typically, as you you know get into a depression and an actual clinical level depression, t- that self-worth and that self-value does tend to start to fade away uh, for lots of reasons associated with the depression itself directly. Right. Um, but also um, from the consequences of the behaviors that you engage in when you're depressed. 
know, again, that's what we're talking about in the relationship is you pull away from your partner, your partner obviously will notice that distance and that emotional distance, and that can cause problems. And so that can feed into that feelings of uh, low self-worth. Right. Is depression like a sort of like, I mean, I'm almost envisioning it as like a downward spiral. Like if it's, you know, if it goes untreated for years, it could, you know, it could cause some serious problems for you. Um, or at least affect, absolutely. Your, affect your quality of life for sure. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, depression is, is, I think, picturing it as a downward spiral is a, is, is a pretty good way to look at it. But it's not all. It doesn't always spiral in these very tight spirals. Let's say it's a slow. It can be a very slow decline over time. Right. Um, so so slow, in fact, that it may not get to the point that a person even realizes that they're in that depression for years. Um, it can build very slowly, but then again, it can be very fast. Right. Um, everyone uh, kind of experiences it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, um, you know, people like people have a depressed you know they feel depressed or whatever and then it sort of manifests itself and gets worse as time goes on but they might just accept it as normal is that do you find mm -hmm. that's true i do um i think there's a probably you know the vast majority of people who are depressed probably don't categorize themselves as depressed they just think this is the way life is right. you know this is just the way it is it's been been this way for so long i just don't you know there's just no concept that it can be different um so depression can sneak up on you that way you just you know you're just existing day to day kind of living the same day just a different date um you know the groundhog day yeah. i think was a perfect movie if you want to know what depression is like watching groundhog day is a perfect movie for that um, because some days you're, you're, you're giving it your all and everything is fine. And you're like, yep, yeah, you know, I'm just gonna live this day to the fullest. And then some other days you're going to just give up on it. You're like, forget it. Why even get out of bed? All right. Um, and then other days you're going to be somewhere in the middle. Um, so I think, yeah, groundhog day is a really good way to look at depression too, is that, yeah, it can creep up on you and, and you can be depressed without realizing really that you are depressed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's part, part of the problem with like, um, diagnosing it is a lot of people just don't realize that it's, that they're having symptoms and you know they could be attributed to d depression but they just kind of say oh well you know it's always been this way so absolutely absolutely interesting and that does get in the way of it gets in the way of the, uh, of people seeking that help as we said because they do they just assume this is how life is. Life is just this way for me. Well, it's been this way for so long. Okay, I've got used to it. Even. Yeah, the new normal. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, so, like, just deciding to be happy isn't going to work necessarily. No, no, it isn't. Yeah. A lot of people say, you know, happiness is a choice and, like, you know, you can choose to have a crappy day or choose to make it a good one and you know that that's what a lot of these um self-help gurus kind of say mm -hmm. like uh you know it's a choice and but that's not necessarily the case but, well it's, it's not because i think when you when we say that we oversimplify it and i do think that a lot of these you know if you if you hop online and you look into a lot of these self-help groups and especially some of these motivational speakers and people who are out there, you know, just telling you all you got to do is, you know, make a choice to change and just get up every day. Well, and that's that's true to a degree, but there's more. It goes further. You can't just choose to be happy. You also have to behave and do the behaviors that go along with setting that um, um, setting that up for yourself. Um, right. It's like a garden, right? I mean, you can't just throw seeds at it and expect it to go anywhere. You can't just decide, I want a garden, and there it is. You have to put the work in um, to to make it fertile. you got to make that ground fertile so that you know the plants and the fruits can happen. And dealing with depression is the same way. I can wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to be happy today, and then lay in bed and do nothing. Yeah. That's not <laughs> going to get you you know, out of the depression. Right. you got to put the work in, and it is, it is work. It really is work. When you change – and you're fighting against an internal dialogue 
that's telling you basically everything that you need to not be doing. Um, that internal dialogue is telling you, hey, just lay in bed. That's okay. Nobody cares about you anyway. Yeah. It's hard to argue with yourself. It's hard to argue with that inner voice, but but that's where the work comes. So, And it is a disease, right? I mean, it, it would be like saying, yes. you know, I don't have cancer uh, just because, yes. you know, I'm going to choose not to, so I don't. I, I mean, you, it, it, it's an actual disease, right? I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and you, in many ways, there's things, just a little like heart disease or cancer or many other medical disorders, there's a lot of behaviors that you can do that will help your chances of either recovering or preventing those things from happening. So, you know, if you have some kind of heart problem, exercising, eating healthy, um, watching your sugar you know, intakes and things like that, so all of that stuff is behavioral. It can help improve or even heal certain conditions and, and, and depression is the same way. It's not just in your head. It, your body absolutely plays a part in it. Your actions and your choices absolutely play a part in getting over it. But it is an, an illness. So, uh, like, the this, this things that you tell yourself about yourself, um, I, I assume that has a lot to do with how you feel about, you know, whether you're depressed or not. Is that generally true or mm -hmm. is like yourself it your, does your self-talk absolutely self-talk is one of the one of the primary ways that we look at um <clears throat> how severe someone's depression is and um how to get out of it is managing that self-talk mm. um it's you know, keeping yourself in a more positive light keeping yourself more grounded in a reality-based kind of self-talk instead of uh, again just <clears throat> self-abusive stuff, reinforcing the negative stuff that you're feeling by keeping those thoughts in your head or repeating those things over and over every day. Mm -hmm. um, and in therapy, that's one of the things that we, we definitely target in on is trying to help people to control that self-talk, to cut out the negative stuff and put in more positive or more adaption, uh, adaptable kind of thinking um, instead of the typical negative stuff that comes out. Right. <clears throat> It's interesting. So if you you have an average kind of person that comes to counseling or, you know, therapy for uh, possibly depression. So this person is going to, uh, you know, maybe they've gained a little weight or, you know, so whatever things they're going to see, like what I guess if you could like go through kind of the mindset, what is that person telling themselves about themselves? Well, typically, I think most people who, you know, who come into my office to, and they have some kind of depression going on, typically they are um, given us some of those kinds of, you know, self-talk things when they talk about that specifically is, that, again, I'm, I'm not good enough in some way, or um, they're feeling bad about something related to themselves that they don't feel like they can change. That's usually the big sticking point. And then it just builds on that. Like the negative stuff, the negativity builds on little sticking points. Um, you know, maybe an ex said something bad about the way you look. And then you begin to fixate about that particular thing that was pointed out. And you realize, well, I, I don't think I can change that about myself. And somebody says something negative. So therefore, I must be bad in some way because I have this trait that I can't change about myself. Um, there are lots of little habits of thought, as we call them, that we get stuck into. And one of them is that kind of thing, focusing on the exceptions in a bad way that you have and not looking at the other positives or all the other compliments that you've ever got over the course of your life. We just pay attention to or we get stuck on the one or two things that were negative, you know, that we were, you know, maybe as a kid, we were insulted about or made fun of or things like that. And those get a lot of significant emotional weight. And then as we repeat those things in our head um, over and over again, they begin to drag us down in that depressive direction. And then does that overshadow, like, let's say that 20 people are saying something positive about you, um, but one person has said this thing that has, you know, over time, like just keeps in your mind, um, you know, can those 20 compliments 
overcome that one thing? Or well, they, they can. They can, but part of that distorted thinking that we talked about puts, you know, naturally we go to paying attention to the one bad thing, <clears throat> but um, you absolutely can try to refocus your thoughts. Every time you have that bad thought, you go and run back through the, the 20 positive compliments that you got, but you have to make yourself do that. Um, the negative stuff comes easy. The negative stuff comes real easy. Um, going through though and making yourself recite the positive stuff that you've heard about yourself takes effort and therefore it's a little work and you have to put that work in every time you have the negative thought, you've got to counter it with the positive. How hard is it for you as a therapist to take your own advice? It's, you know, it is, it's pretty, it's pretty difficult. Um, you know, can't lie about that. You know, these things <laughs> we can, we can know. You know, you know what the right thing to do is, you know how to work on it, but sometimes it's still, you know, it sneaks in there. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think, I think like in a lot of professions, uh, like doctors and other kinds of professions where we're helping others, um, it is super easy to think that you are immune to the thing that you're dealing with. Right. It's like, no, no, I can't be depressed. <laughs> I help people through the depression, you know, yeah. I can't be whatever. And, and so denial is not just the river in Egypt. It is definitely something that we all uh, can get on and uh, get caught up in. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it can be difficult. It is difficult. We're, we are all to some degree broken toys. <laughs> yep. Yep. I think so. <clears throat> and so it is very difficult. So, and, and helping yourself out of these kinds of things is, is a difficult process. And even if you are going to therapy, therapy and, uh, is not going to make it easy. It just kind of helps give you a plan, helps give you a little extra knowledge, helps give you a little, uh, you know, extra connection with something that or a person who can help encourage you to keep working at this plan and to keep trying new things. And, you know, part of the, you know, part of therapy is just that being a supportive person that's consistent in that other person's life. So therapy isn't a like uh, one and done kind of thing. It's usually you know, it could go on for a long time for some people. Potentially, yeah. I mean, potentially, uh, given given what the person might be approaching with. Um, but yeah, therapy is definitely not a one and done. Um, I think, you know, I, I hesitate to say, oh, yeah, you know, just come on to therapy, stay with us forever. That'd be great. Yeah. No, but, <laughs> you know, if you're not, therapy lasts as long as it needs to and the way we decide how long it needs to last is how much progress you're making and whether you're satisfied with that progress and once you reach a point where you feel hey life is acceptable for me now i am okay with how things are going then that's a good point to stop therapy once you feel okay right. with how things are um and so that's and that's always the person's choice that's kind of their determination the therapist will continue to be helpful and continue to be there as long as you are feeling that you're making progress and you reach a point where you know, you're like, Oh, I think I'm good now. Yeah. Then that should be at least the end point for that particular round of therapy. Do you, do you find that people generally, I mean, you were talking about like all the work it takes to change the way that you think about yourself and, you know, events and things like that. So do you find that people are generally resistant to doing that sort of thing? Um, you know, because mm -hmm. it is, I, I, would in, I would guess that in some instances it's like pretty intense work that people have to do on themselves in order to start to feel better. So um, they, you know, would they tend to want to do that work or are they resistant to it and just really just want someone to talk to about things? Oh, yes. I, I think, I think like with any change, most people are, you know, just don't really love change. Um, and so ever, you know, there's a lot of resistance to doing the work, uh, coming into therapy, you know, talking about your problems and coming in and telling your therapist about how things have been and you know, mm. getting that connection. That part's that's kind of the easy part. That that part usually feels pretty good for most people. Right. Yeah, again, just to have that person to talk to, if nothing else. But then going home and, and carrying out the the strategies or the ideas that we that were discussed in that session, 
that's the hard part and absolutely people resist doing it um and again because the therapist can't go home with you to make sure you're doing those things it can be a little tough it can be easy to kind of say oh yeah yeah i tried that i tried that yeah and it's just not working you know it's not it's not (laughs) i mean might you not feel worse for a little while when you first start you know with these changes um I would imagine that like the hard work and, you know, everything's changing and that you might even feel worse than you did feel at first. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely a possibility. I mean, it most definitely is a possibility if you're, especially with depression, you know, obviously we're talking about people who tend to have a lower energy level in the first place, lower motivation, um, a lowered ability to make themselves do things that they don't want to do. It is a little bit of a grind at first. Now, ideally in therapy, um, these goals or these things, these steps that you're going to take are going to be formulated in such a way that you feel like you can accomplish them. They're not going to be too hard. Now, we're not going to tell somebody, say, hey, you know what? You need 30 minutes of exercise every day to feel better. This is going to be important for you to do every single day. <laughs> That's like, like yeah, well, sure. you know what? <laughs> exactly, right? People was like, well, you know, this is the first. You. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like this is the first time, Doc. You know, I've been out of bed in in the three months. Uh, let's try <laughs> something a little different. So, so the steps that we take have to be are going to be tailored to each person's situation. So instead of doing thirty minutes every day, you know, the plan may be that if if you can get up and go for a walk for five minutes, walk your dog around your yard every day, just one time, and then build on that slowly until you reach the more ideal goal of maybe 30 minutes of exercise every couple of days or something like that. Um, or, you know, again, working on sleep habits, you know, and trying to get a little more sleep each day or try to, you know, clean up that sleep hygiene routine, you know, make sure that you're doing some relaxation before you go to bed. And maybe you're not getting all the hours you need, but you are kind of working on it. And that's how change happens best is in slower, smaller steps. Uh, unfortunately, of course, we live in a, in a world where everybody wants everything now. So right. <laughs> th- therapy definitely doesn't work that way. Make me better, damn it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So what about for the people that their families discourage them? Like say, oh, you know, that if you just want somebody to talk to, you can talk to me. Or um, that's a quack. Or, you know. Uh, like that does the therapy doesn't work and you know talking to people what's that going to help um you know because i think there are people in those situations um where and even with the listeners maybe they've been hesitant to seek out um talking to a therapist so you know um you make it sound pretty okay to me um you know working in small little steps and having someone to because some people don't have anyone like to talk mm-hmm. to in support system. Um, so, you know, what would you say to the listeners that might have an experience discouragement about therapy? Well, for, that's absolutely something I think a lot of people do experience, um, especially if others that you're close to know that you're thinking about uh, therapy or actually going to therapy, getting negative feedback is hard. Um, and I think everybody's situation would be different. You know, who who is saying it? Who are they related to you? How how important are they in your life? You know, can I pick this person off and and or not uh, kind of thing? But I would encourage everyone um, that is thinking about it and may have negative feedback from those around them, is that you know, give it a shot. Um, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. But it's most definitely worth trying to give it that shot in the first place. Um, sometimes, you know, even people who mean a lot to us, who, who really want the best for us, they may not themselves have ever experienced it. They may never have had therapy themselves. They may not understand how it could be helpful. Um, so, again, sometimes we just have to take that leap of faith and try something new um, just to see how it works for us. And I would encourage anyone to do that very thing. Sometimes you do just have to kind of ignore the feedback that you're given and give something a try. And I know in the example um, you were saying, like, you know, the person hadn't been out of bed in three three weeks or whatever, uh, or three months. Um, I mean, 
so I mean, is, is that realistic? Are there people that really do stay in bed, uh, you know, for like long periods of time like that? Uh, yes, I mean, I I said you know there's a, kind of a little bit of exaggeration there, but no, absolutely, there are people who may basically do. They'll live in their bedroom or bed. Um, they might get up to go to the bathroom. They might get up to go eat, but they go right back to um, that spot in their home. Um, a lot of people with more severe ongoing depression almost develop a little den around it, a little depression place where they go to be depressed in their homes. Um, sometimes it's the bedroom. Sometimes it's a particular chair. Sometimes it's a particular room. Um, but they will go back and just go there to be depressed. Like, oh, I got to get up and go there and do this, but then I'll come right back to my little hole of where I, I've got my comfort zone, and then I'll stay there, and I won't come out, and I'll stay there until I absolutely can't stay there any further. And so there are people who spend months of just basically staying in that same space, bedroom, bed, um, things like that. Mm. So, yeah, that's absolutely something that happens. Um, also, when you know, Something that we haven't mentioned yet, but with depression, often comes a lot of anxiety. As we start to pull in on ourselves, we start to become experiencing more anxiety about actually changing anything. So then we kind of get locked into the depressive environment that we kind of surround ourselves with and then feel a great deal of anxiety um, about doing any kind of change about it. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I know they kind of go, they sort of go hand in hand, like the low self low <laughs> self-esteem thing um from what i was reading mm -hmm. oh yes absolutely and, and you know in many ways anxiety and depression are just two sides of the same coin um because they they absolutely go hand in hand often you know if a person has anxiety they also have a lot of depressive symptoms and if a person has depression they have a lot of anxiety symptoms um they do go hand in hand absolutely mm. Do you find that uh, depression is, like I was reading something that said um, if you're over the age of like, I don't know, let's say 12, uh, depression is very common in all age groups? I, I feel that to be true from, yeah, from my experience, the two most common, absolutely the two most common things, complaints that come into my office or anxiety and depression, mm -hmm. and a combination of both. Those are absolutely top top of you know the commonality. Yeah, um, nine out of ten people, it's going to be depression or anxiety. And like, uh, so do most people want to be? They just want like medication for it or something, and to make it go away or uh, make them feel better. Or, I mean, is that you know, is that the usual path of what you would, not you personally, but just uh, therapy in general kind of like leads them towards? Well, um, most research that has been done <clears throat> has really shown that the combination of medication and therapy tends to be the most effective way to treat depression, but most other um illnesses that we have, mental illnesses that we have, is the combination of the two. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there have been, there's like a pendulum that swings back and forth um, with what is kind of acceptable. Um, and then for a long time, medication was the only tool that was ever recommended. Right. And then it swung back to everyone hated medication. Nobody wants to take medication. Everyone should do therapy only. Um, <laughs> And that's not, you know, and that's honestly, you know, I'm a therapist. I don't prescribe medications, but that's not helpful either because absolutely, if there's a tool out there, if there's a medication or a thing out there that's going to make your experience, that work we talked about, if it's going to make that work easier for you to do, mm -hmm. then absolutely, you know, you need, you should consider that. That There is nothing morally good or bad about a tool. Um, it's just a tool. We use it when it's helpful. Um if I had a bunch of nails to nail down and I looked at a hammer and said, that's weak, I'm just going to use my fist. You know, that does not make sense. I mean, can I hammer those things down with my fist? Maybe. But man, I'm going to be, it's not going to be a good outcome. Uh, that's a great analogy. <laughs> Absolutely. So I would encourage everyone listening, do not be afraid of medication. 
but do be educated about it. Um, do learn about what and what are the side effects of it? What options do you have? Um, there's some great testing out there available now where they can actually swab your cheek and they can give you a statistical analysis of based on your DNA pattern, which medications other people have done well with and have not done well with. So they can help you to narrow down and look to minimize the side effects that you have. Wow. That's well, that's awesome, interesting. Yeah. Oh, how would, how would one get that done? <laughs> well, actually, uh, you know, just have to ask your medical doctor. Um, a lot of medical doctors, um, it's actually, I, I call it newer, but I'm, you know, maybe the last 10 years it's been widely available. Um, I don't want to mention any names because I think they're all under brands and things like that. But it's basically, a, again, a, just a analysis of your DNA, and, and it puts it up against a statistical analysis of all these other people who have had their DNA taken, and they've been on medications, and if they've had reactions, and, you know, if it matches this pattern. So it, it gives you generalities of what typically works for people who have DNA patterns similar to yours, traits and genes similar to yours and whether what works and what doesn't. There's still thing that has to take place if you are going to take a medication. You, know, you should always understand that those things can react and, and treat each of us very differently. What works for one person may not work at all for another. Well, that's very interesting, though. Uh, I, I didn't, didn't know about that, but, um, you know, that's something for our listeners to uh, discuss with their doctors. If they didn't Absolutely. know it, did. sure. Yeah, especially if they have in the past had a had a bad reaction with a particular medication and maybe just you know swore it off altogether. It's like, oh, you know, I tried to take this once for my depression and it did not work with me very well at all. So I just don't take the medication anymore at all. But you know, again, you get this uh, you get this test done and you might be able to find better options um, and weed out some of the more you know that might give you more likely to give you a reaction of some kind that you don't want. Mm. It's really interesting. Cat, uh, I'll give you one more question. Well, I, I know that, um, you know, we, we've talked about a lot of things, uh, symptoms that people might see. Um, mm -hmm. I imagine there are people that are still going to their jobs um, that are functioning on some level, but still experiencing, you know, maybe they're not able to sleep. Um, maybe their eating has changed. Uh, so, so they're just holding on. They're barely getting through the days, um, but they are getting through them. Um, so we're talking about people, listeners that may be experiencing that as well, right? That they can, um, they could come to therapy and, um, improve their if they're having depression. Are, are you absolutely? Are you talking like you about? You don't have to hit rock bottom to wait to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. Are you talking about sort of like functioning uh, depressed people? Well, I mean, so you know, like um, maybe maybe I can get I do get make myself get out of bed, right? But mm -hmm. I've hardly had any sleep. Like you know, I have not slept. And you could do that for a while, I'm sure, um, but it, I'm, it must be harming you uh, mentally and physically not to be getting sleep. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you know, so I, I think like some of these things, people are just on the edge of seeking help uh, because they're able to go to work. That might be their you know, their benchmark, as long as I can go to work, you know, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I guess I'm just trying to, for the listeners to know, like, at what point, um, you know, should someone think about seeking a therapy of some kind, or at least reaching out to someone? That's a good question. I think, one of, the, one of the things we have this idea about is that we should be happy all the time. Um, and so <laughs> that's kind of, that would be scary. I mean, obviously, if someone was happy all the time, there's probably something going on there. you got to be careful of those people, right? <laughs> kind of like morning people. you know? got to watch out for those people. Yeah. They're just way too energetic. So I'd like to tell people, you know, clients that come into me and we're talking about, you know, what would you like your life to be like? How, you know, how will you know when it's time to quit therapy? 
And one of the things I encourage them to think about is not necessarily happiness with their life, but contentment. I think contentment gives a better description of how life can be when you are living it as healthily as possible, that your mental health is in a good place, is that you'll experience contentment with the way your life is. You know, you won't always be happy. Um, in fact, you know, you might not be happy all the time, uh, but as long as you're experiencing happiness when it's pretty much appropriate, you know, when, you know, you, something good has happened, now I feel happy. But then after that, you know, I go back to feeling content with things. Things are okay. You know, life, life is pretty good. My job, yeah, this is good. I like this. This is okay. I don't necessarily have to love my job and be happy every day at my job, but I can be content in the path my life has taken or where I am in life. And that's a good way to kind of say, hey, could I, should I go to a therapist? Well, are you not content somewhere? Is there some part of your life, some aspects, some relationships, something about yourself that you're just not content with? And if that's the answer is yes, then yeah, go to therapy. You know, you don't have to have a mental illness or something severe going wrong to benefit from therapy. Mm. We do a lot of things. We work with people on making choices about jobs. We make, we work with people about just, you know, hey, how can I uh, do some things a little more healthy with my life or, you know, that kind of thing. Interesting. So, uh so we're approaching about an hour now, and this has been a really okay. interesting episode that, uh, you know, sure. I, I think, uh, you know, you put a lot of good information out there, and uh, hopefully uh, we ask some good questions, and, uh, you know, um, I'd like to continue this in a future episode if you're interested in doing that. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I love talking about this stuff. It's kind of what I do with you. <laughs> so it's it's very interesting to me to, to talk about these kinds of topics. Awesome. Uh, so if people want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Or would they have to go through a, you know, get a referral or something like that? No, I think that's a good, that's actually a really good question because in general, even if uh, not to me, most people can get directly into therapy by just contacting a therapist or a group of therapists. Um, a lot of doctor's offices are now including therapists in their office. So if you have a medical doctor that your primary care physician can uh, just ask them for a referral, uh, but you don't typically have to have a referral anymore uh, to get to a therapist. Just you know, do a, do a search on the internet. You can find several in your local area. Um, you can find me um, if you do a quick Google search of New Frontiers Clinical Counseling Services. Um, if you do that, you'll find me and my office, and you can um, email me uh, or text or call to set up an appointment. Um, and I also am doing uh, telehealth services, and most insurances due to COVID are now covering those. So you can do therapy from the comfort of your home. Awesome. Um, Great. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I, you know, I think we will, uh, uh, end it here, and, uh, Aaron, I want to thank you for your time and, uh, expertise, and, um, you know, like I said, I think we talked about a lot of things and put a lot of information out there, and, uh, we'll continue this in another episode, but thank you for coming by. You're very welcome. All right. Kat, one last thought? Uh, just that I think the information is so important, and I think you, um, I just think that um, you have put this in a way that um, doesn't uh, further the stigma of mental health. You made it seem like, you know, this is an okay thing to try out um, and see if it's for you or not. So um, I like that. I, I like that for the listeners as well. Give it a chance to see. Yeah, I think any any tool that someone has in their arsenal to uh, you know further their self awareness and uh, that sort of thing is always a good thing. And, um, therapy, you know, it, it may not be for everyone. It may be for a lot more people than they realize, as you pointed out. But um, we appreciate your time. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you very much. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to cat at 
I write plays at Outlook.com, or you can write to me at BackstorySessions at gmail.com, or Matt at Level11Ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.